I think that investment in people um, and truly understanding, you know, what a great culture can bring in terms of, you know, driving customer satisfaction, you know, revenue, uh, retention, all of those kinds of things is just something that I wish I had have learned, you know, much earlier on in the journey. Hello, hello, hello. I am very excited today because I have the Kirk Simpson of uh, Wave joining me. Um, Kirk, before we start, let me set this up if you please. Kirk Simpson is the co-founder and CEO of Toronto-based Wave. He's a serial entrepreneur, having started multiple businesses prior. Kirk has led Wave to become an internationally disruptive fintech company, building a team of more than 200 people, but before being acquired for 537 big smackers. Kirk is an advisor for the CDL at Rotman, an active angel investor, and has been a mentor for the next 36. He believes in paying it forward and loves to empower up-and-coming entrepreneurs. Kirk, thanks so much for joining us today. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Fantastic, fantastic. So I've just got to open it up. Now, we haven't met before, you know, short of I followed you on, on social media, but I had, um, you know, the Alex Norman, uh, who is, uh, you know, I've heard has the pulse of, of uh, mm -hmm. Toronto and Ontario in terms of business. And I asked him, who's one person that you would recommend? And he, without hesitation, said, Kirk, why would he suggest you, do you think, right off the bat? Well, it might be because he's trying to get me to be an LP in his fund. And That's so he's one. throwing me some, you know, nice comments. I'm not sure, but I have a high degree of respect for for Alex and what he's done in this community. Um, and so it's high praise as far as I'm concerned. Fantastic, fantastic. And I actually got to meet Alex for the first time at a Tech Vancouver or a Tech Together uh, event. And that was, it was great. It was, it was fantastic. Um, and one of the other speakers was actually uh, Kim Kaplan who was on our show earlier. And she's, if you don't know Kim, follow her because she is incredible with, with, with her knowledge and what she's doing in the dating scene. Um, well, you know what, let's start from the basics, right from the, from the you know, zeros and ones, the zero. Um, tell me the creation story of Wave, please. Yeah, and I'll, I'll make it relatively brief, but um, James Lockery and I started the business in 2009. We got mm -hmm. serious about it in 2010. I think, quite frankly, both of us were, you know, really jonesing to do something in the entrepreneurial space. We didn't know mm -hmm. what it was going to be. Um, and of all things, we settled on small business accounting. I think that, you know, from my perspective, I had been, as you referenced before, an entrepreneur a couple of times over. Had it not been my sister being a chartered accountant, I might have been in a lot more trouble with the CRA. I knew how much small business owners like me hate everything to do with this stuff. And so I sort of gravitated towards that. Um, and my partner, James Lockery, had been the CTO of a small business tax prep company, had been in the living room you know, with hundreds of small business owners, you know, getting them ready for tax mm -hmm. uh, and had seen the disaster state of most of their, you know, accounting bookkeeping records. Mm -hmm. And so we looked at the space. Um, it was uh, heavily influenced by what Mint was doing at the time in personal finance. For those of us who are old enough to remember, I mean, Mint was a pioneer in a lot of the things that are driving fintech today. Well, and the so Toronto thought, company too, right? I'm sorry. I think I, I believe they're a Toronto company as well, aren't they? No, they were they were out of the U.S. Um, oh, yeah, Canadian. No, bought by Intuit in 2011 okay. or 12, I think. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But uh, really, a pioneer in you know getting people to accept something that we take for granted today, as an example, which is putting in your credentials to your online bank account through a third party to bring in all of your transactions. I mean, that was a brand, brand new concept and they had done it amazingly well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we were heavily influenced by that and just thought there was something interesting in this space um, that spoke to us and off we went. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I mean, you did, you, you over during the journey, uh, you raised a, a significant amount of money. Um, can you tell me how many rounds did it like, was there an A round, a B round, a seed round? Like, is it the typical journey or was it? Um, you know, we, we funded it ourselves and moved on. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about the history of the, of the raising? Yeah. And I think this really speaks to just how much the ecosystem in Canada has changed because in 2009, 2010, and, 
even in 11, 12, 13, 14, I mean, just, you know, the landscape was so dramatically different to what you experience today. And so the short answer is, I wish it was, you know, a big seed round followed by a big A round followed by a big B round, you know, and the usual trajectory. But the reality of it was uh, James uh, funded the first um, money to bootstrap this couple hundred thousand dollars. We then raised that, you know, friends, you know, round of a couple hundred thousand dollars to sort of allow us to keep going. We then needed to raise a seed round. And that was months and months uh, of pitching uh, to terrible angel groups here in Toronto to non-sophisticated, anybody who would take our pitch, we, you know, and we slapped together from that sort of five or $600,000. And then thankfully we timed it, you know, impeccably well to be the first uh, investment from Omer's Ventures Mm-hmm. where they put $500,000 in to sort of round out that seed round. And then the A was, you know, pretty smooth. The B, the B was pretty smooth. And then it kind of went off the rails from there. We had a B plus and a C plus and a C prime. And, a, you know, it was, uh, it was a hodgepodge of letters and numbers and trying to, you know, bring in the necessary capital at the right times um, at, you know, valuations that were at least going up. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is, you know, especially around 2009, 2010, I mean, well, we had the financial crisis to begin with, but at, at the at the end of the day, it would be probably more challenging to do the traditional route at that time. I mean, now it's easier to do it in Canada, thank goodness, because of, you know, um, well, because of all the great LPs who are, who, are, who are willing to take a risk or a lot more of an angel network because of all the exits that have happened. Um, but because, you know, you're dealing with the CRA and you're dealing with Canadian, I guess, that typical avenue of going down to the States probably wasn't as attractive. Well, you know, actually our A round was led by CRV out of the Valley. Uh, mm-hmm. Our B round was led by social capital. Uh, and so I would love for the story to have been that there was, you know, challenges with the CRA and that's why, you know, we, <laughs> we had the B plus and the C prime and all that kind of stuff. The bottom line is, is we just didn't execute well enough to, you know, show enough momentum and the market was very different in terms of, you know, valuations and the amount of capital and these kinds of things. So, you know, I think we got to look in the mirror on why that happened, not blame it on anything else. Unfortunately, I would love to, but it really was on whether or not we were executing at a high level or not. You know, and, and this is why we have, you know, this little talk show is, is based on, <laughs> hey, let's learn from those who've gone down the journey. And uh, um, so in, with Wave, do you, do you focus on, is it solely in Canada or is it, is it international or, or, or what, what's the reach here? Yeah, we were always global. Um, we've actually, despite having hundreds and hundreds of thousands of users in non-North American markets, we actually last year really... Um, prioritize the North American markets um, just because what we're trying to do is put a small business bank account at the, in the middle of our, all of our software. We think this is just a potential game changer for small businesses in order to you know, speed up access to their funds, make it easier, ensure that they're not spending any of their time on bookkeeping and being ready for tax. We think it's a a really amazing opportunity and we wanted to prioritize. So we've, our biggest market has always been in the U S um, it continues to be so. And in fact, we've, we've really doubled down on the North American market with the U S being, you know, our biggest, our biggest driver. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, one thing that really, really impressed me uh, as well is that uh, Wave and yourself, I mean, we're going to, we're going to tie this together, um, have won many awards, including, and this is, very impressive, Canada's most admired CEO, and (laughs) ranked in very high for the great place to work in Canada. And that says a lot about your company culture. So how do you create such a great work environment that people want to, you know, be part of that journey? Well, the first thing is, is, you know, a big shout out to my mom and dad, who I think voted, you know, thousands of times online (laughs) to get me that award. Um, Love that. But, um, you know, I think our, our journey you know, and one of the things that I'm most grateful for is, you know, we had a lot of ups and downs and I talked about this in regards to fundraising. um, And we learned a lot along the way. And I think, you know, in 2014, 2015, 
we knew that the company culture that we had created had some positives, but really, um, you know, we were, we were sort of the prototypical startup of, you know, started by two white guys surrounded ourselves with, you know, people who, you know, thought and looked like us and, um, and just the overall culture, I think needed, um, a lot of, uh, improvement and, whether it be from a diversity standpoint in terms of how people look and think, um, whether it be, um, you know, investing in leadership and um, and true manager training and those kinds of things. And so in 2015, coming out of a really, really difficult couple of years, a difficult fundraise, um, I knew that something needed to change. And so you know, we had waited too long to really invest in, in people and culture. A woman named Ashira joined the team and, you know, her and I really sort of tapped into what we wanted to become and started to live it a little bit more authentically. Um, and that was a big, big, you know, turning point. I think in all honesty, I had the right intentions and we're not executing on them well enough. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, just an incredible group of people, you know, came into wave, rolled up their sleeves. And I'm a big believer that the culture of the company, you know, there is way too much uh, credit um, or blame given to, you know, the founder CEOs. Mm -hmm. um, it, the culture is created by the entire team. I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's set from the top. I don't want to minimize that, but you know, me getting credit for what was created is completely wrong. It was a bunch of great people coming in with similar values um, and the decisions that are made by that group every single day, um, you know, really create the culture. And so I think, you know, just 14, 15, we just got a lot better at it. And, you know, whether or not it's our Glassdoor reviews or my own personal reviews on Glassdoor and everything surrounded by it just changed. And mm -hmm. I think that investment in people um, and truly understanding, you know, what a great culture can bring in terms of, you know, driving customer satisfaction, you know, revenue, uh, retention, all of those kinds of things is just something that I wish I had have learned, you know, much earlier on in the journey. Well, I love, I love that. I love that answer. Cause uh, you know, we need to, you build the bus, but you, you got to get the people on the bus with you, right? And, For sure. Um, you know, everyone going the same direction, but uh, every once in a while, you want to let other people drive the bus too, so you can have <laughs> a nap. Uh, so uh, I, 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 I really think that's great. Now, one thing I really liked on your website, you list five values, okay? So you've got believe in small business owners. No brainer, and I love that for, for your mission. Reimagine the possible together. Do fewer things simply and beautifully. Care deeply and challenge directly and achieve extraordinary results. So how long did it take you to form those values? And were there any that like you had earlier and you said, nope, we got to focus on this? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because yes, those values changed multiple times during the journey. And, and each time we were very purposeful about, you know, what we were trying to do and where we thought the company was at the time and, and therefore what we needed to sort of double down on. So the first thing is, is, the system that we use is built on the work by a guy by the name of David Lappin, um, who, you know, we've had the pleasure of working with and he's just amazing. And, and his, his, um, his process is that, you know, what you described is actually in order, um, meaning that, you know, the first one's the most important, the second grows off of that, et cetera. And when you've got a, a problem in the company, you work backwards to understand what did, what did we get wrong in these values that led to this outcome? So the extraordinary results are really the output of doing these other things really, really well. I would say, you know, one of the biggest things that we found was that um, early on in the journey, we felt like because we weren't surrounded in the ecosystem with Canadian companies that had really, you know, gone global and and um, and achieved amazing things. I mean, Shopify and others have really changed that view in Canadians' minds. But in 2009, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, I mean, there just wasn't that 
this, the Canadian ecosystem was celebrating sort of 30 to $50 million, you know, acquisitions as being success. Right. And so that's really changed. The reason that I say that is because early on, one of our core values was we actually wanted to, um, and I forget the exact wording to be honest, but it was change people's mindset about what we were trying to do, which was not be incremental. We wanted to think bigger than that. And we wanted to innovate at a, at a, at a bigger scale. Um, but what we found through the journey is that that was, you know, very well entrenched in the organization, but we weren't customer centric enough. Mm-hmm. And we were focused on the technology and, you know, the design and the, and the marketing, and we weren't focused on the actual customer and what we were trying to solve. And so that was a big change for us as we, mm-hmm we really purposefully put the customer at the center and made sure that we changed as an organization because of it to make sure that we, we had more customer centricity. Mm-hmm. When you look at other things on that list, again, they're, they're all very specific around a time and place. We historically within the company have tried to do too much. And, you know, I'm very guilty of that. Uh, I'm a shiny object syndrome type <laughs> CEO. And so <laughs> I think that, you know, one of the reasons why over the last couple of years we've we've pushed on this do fewer things simply and beautifully is because we need the we need the company, you know, top down starting to think more about how we do fewer things, but those things are done to a, an extreme level where our customers, you know, will love it. Um, so, again, very purposeful about it. Yes, they've changed. Uh, and we want to, you want to be very sensitive about how you roll out those changes. Um, but we've adapted many times over the history. Now, when you, when you come up with those values, who, who drives that? Like, do you have just certain stakeholders within the company and, um, or, uh, you know, marketing to exec, you know, exec to director level, what, what, what really drives that? I think it's, it starts with, you know, a conversation at the exec team around where are we and what are we seeing on the ground, et cetera. We then, have always brought in a much, you know, broader group within the company to help us, you know, think about it and and um, and think about, you know, once we once we get the core concepts of where we want to be and where we think there's gaps. I mean, just the language that you use, the specific words you use in the matter, and so that's where we've typically, you know, leveraged a much wider swath of the organization to make sure that it's you know, well understood, well articulated, are there words in there that are triggering some people to think of them, you know, very differently than others. Um, But we've always been very purposeful about, you know, really using the entire organization to to help us ensure that they set the right tone and will be used on a day-to-day basis to make decisions. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I ask because I, 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 first off, I love them. I, I really do. But I also know, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's just skin level marketing. And yeah. it is so far from that for those people who've been the journey. Like we have our, our executive getaways just to focus on that. That's like a right. day of just starting the conversation because Absolutely. people have to understand it. That all of a sudden drives the decision for every department. Like from sales, we have a totally different vision of how we do sales after we figure that out. Mm. Also from, from HR. Maybe there's people that don't want to be part of this mission anymore or shouldn't yeah. be part of this mission after you define it. So um, I just really like your, your core five and how it really sung to your mission. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to harp a little bit on that because <laughs> I think it's so important to have that and have people understand. Like I was, I was really hoping you weren't just saying marketing came up with that. That, that, was, that was the reason why I, 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 really, I really dug into that because those who've been through the journey and especially with large, um, you know, when you, when you have 200, 200 plus employees, I mean, you need to know that everyone wants to move together in the same direction. And those words matter. That drives culture. That drives everything. So um, it's important. Yeah. And then how, how you use them and how you integrate them into, you know, the conversation, um, you know, we're, we think about that a lot, like at town hall, how do we use them to reinforce decisions that we're making so that to your point, they're not, um, you know, a pretty picture on the wall. They're, they're, they're being used to make decisions. I think the one thing, you know, that we, that we all want to be cognizant of is we don't want them being a conversation stopper in the room. Um, 
So I, I just think you need to be careful about ensuring that people are understanding the spirit of them. They're um, it's sinking in, it resonates with them, but they're never used as a tool to stop conversation. Um, Living and breathing. You yes, know, you exactly. Need, you need to, you need to gut check it constantly. And yep. that's what, you know, we're, again, we're going through a very similar, similar um, mission, mission and journey, but uh, either, either way, I just, I just, I really like, uh, you know, Thank how, you. how, how you formed them. Um, and again, it speaks to, you know, why so many people reflect on uh, the company being as uh, a great workplace to be. Um, well, you know what, well, let's, let's just jump down to breast tax. I mean, H&R Block 2019, great acquisition, um, you know, a huge Canadian acquisition. Um, can you share with me, like, how did that happen? Like, for example, were you working with them beforehand? Did you have a relationship with an H&R Block and it just felt right? Did you have like, well, you know what, just tell me the journey. I can <laughs> guess. Tell me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a pretty unique story in that we had no previous relationship with them. Um, their CFO, uh, I think, came up in, in January, was on a tour of, of probably, quite frankly, FreshBooks and us and others in the Canadian ecosystem and, and what was happening there and who was doing what. As they were thinking of doing more in small business, they were just curious as to what's going on in the landscape. Uh, myself and Peter Carisha, you know, met with the CFO when he was up there, um, up here. We were at the time, you know, beginning a fundraise. And so we just sort of had a pitch deck and we were taking him through what the company's doing, what it looks like, where we're going, et cetera. It was a nice meeting, but, you know, nothing much came out of it. Uh, he reached out to me in, I think, late February and said, Jeff Jones, the new CEO of H&R Block, who is an amazing person, uh, like an incredible pedigree, chief marketing officer at Target, then became the first president of, at Uber. Mm. I love to say about Jeff that he was, when Uber could have had anybody to become the first president in 2016, when it was the hottest thing around, you know, they picked him to, to lead it. And, you know, he's so values driven that seven months later, he left because of what was going on there and left tens of yeah. millions of dollars, you know, on the table. So smart enough to get the job and values driven enough to leave it, which is an amazing combination. So he ended up coming up in, um, in mid to, to late March, and we had a, a great conversation. It was clear to me that we were aligned around values. Uh, it was clear that the timing, you know, could be right in terms of how they're thinking about the market and what they want to do, et cetera. And literally the deal closed in the middle of June which is pretty amazing. Um, so it was very quick. I think there was just uh, a real, as I said before, there was a real values alignment. They were looking to do something in this space. And so they were motivated. We had another fundraising on the, the table. And so it gave us a, an opportunity to easily think about what a fair price could be. There were just a lot of factors that came together in a very short period of time. And the final thing I'll say is just, you know, kudos to the team, you know, Peter Carisha, Ashira on the people and culture side, Paul, the COO, Tam, our VP of finance, and, uh, and the folks at Osler. I mean, they were just amazing at moving this really, really quickly and successfully. So all kudos to them. Fantastic. You don't get there alone. You know, you will exactly never right. get there alone or you don't want to, you know, you, you, you uh, have to thank those. Well, so 2019 was the, the close. To June 2019. Yeah. June 2019. So it's 2021. I'm not, <laughs> not, <laughs> not going to put you on the spot now, but <laughs> any plans for the next chapter? <laughs> oh yeah. The next chapter is we've got, um, you know, this small business bank account, we're trying to put at the core of what we do and it's a huge challenge mm -hmm. and no one's really cracked it in the marketplace to bring this much software and surround, you know, a small business bank account. And we made that change from a strategy perspective last summer. And so everybody, you know, in the team is, is fully committed. We didn't need to make this big a strategy change. It just speaks to, you know, the folks at wave and their desire to continue to innovate and drive. And, you know, that mission is nowhere near complete. There's a lot more we need to do. And we're just pushing ahead to try and make that happen. Cause it's, it's, it's a really exciting space with a lot of potential. Fantastic. So even, even after the acquisition, 
problems need to be solved and it's exciting to do it. It's in your soul and, and, and heart. That's, that's the, uh, what you're going to go with. <laughs> maybe, maybe I painted make, that a little bit for make, you. <laughs> making it sound like, uh, like it's a well-rehearsed answer, which it's not. No, I think, I think you're absolutely right in how you describe it, that it is, you know, without the uh, sarcasm, I'm just kidding. But, um, but I would add one other thing, which is that um, the way, you know, a company like Block um, does these acquisitions, you know, really um, changes the way entrepreneurs and founding teams and exec teams think about staying. Um, Block has completely and utterly left us alone to do, you know, our own thing. They allowed us to make a huge strategic change to the company uh, in terms of our focus areas and priorities. Um, my relationship with Jeff couldn't be better. And yeah. so, you know, the fact that they've left us to run this thing, drive it, um, do it all out of Toronto um, is a key contributor um, to us wanting to continue to push. Otherwise, that ship would have sailed a long time ago. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, that's and that's why. And congratulations, by the way, because uh, thank you. Um, you know, it's 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 you know, it's an honor uh, to 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 go through the journey and uh, to feel that there's still problems to be solving and there's you know there's there's lots to be done. And I bet you have a whole bunch of different tools in your in your 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 quiver at this point to uh, to sure. solve those problems. Um, so that's awesome. Well, you know what? I want to go a little bit back in history here because okay. uh, you know we're talking about accounting. And, yeah. you know, fun topic. if you ask, no, I mean, it's an important topic. I mean, you know what? Would you important, do, but not necessarily fun. Yeah. But, well, <laughs> but you know what? Think about all the value you create, because instead of me having to focus on that and take my eyes off the prize, I know that it's being taken care of. And, you know, I can focus on what I need to do as a startup or as a business or any of those things. Incredibly important, you 100%. know? But let's let's go back because the dot com years, the fun years. I mm. I, mean, I was part of the dot com explosions of fun and chaos. Um, <laughs> so you left university a little bit early, sounds like, um, <laughs> to found Adventure Lifestyle. Can you tell me about that dot uh, com? Permit. Can you tell me about that decision? Yeah. So I think the first thing is is um, I let I had left university before that to go traveling, and then yeah. came back got a waitering job, uh, moved out to Vancouver, your neck of the woods uh, for a Very while nice. and loved every second of it. Um, and then felt the pull more from a um, outside pressure perspective to go back to university. So I came back and went to Guelph. Mm -hmm. And through that period, yeah, the, the internet was exploding. Um, myself and a friend, a guy by the name of Ben Ware, uh, started adventurelifestyle.com. At the beginning, we were a um, essentially a search directory for adventure providers around North America, um, and where you could get reviews on, you know, I want to go whitewater rafting here. Who provides it? All that kind of stuff. Um, when there was a really really cool company out of uh, Australia called Quaka, of all things. <laughs> And I'm so Australian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they had pioneered covering the America's Cup sailing race online. Mm -hmm. And then they got the contract through NBC Sports to do the Olympics uh, online, etc. So we were watching that and just thinking this whole webcasting thing is becoming really, really interesting. What if we were to do um, adventure events like adventure races, mountain bike races and that kind of stuff and cover them online? And so we had a ton of fun. It was super, super interesting. We raised a little bit of seed money. We were really, really dumb. We had no idea what we were doing. And so shocker, we went bankrupt in 2000. Um, and I came out of that sort of $30,000 in debt, no university degree, no idea what I was going to do, owing my soon-to-be wife money to... Um, so yeah, it was a, it was an incredible experience, you know, right on the sort of cutting edge of technology at the time, mm -hmm. but really showed we had no idea what we were doing, and um, and none, yeah, none we of, went bankrupt. None of us did. None of us. Did. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I I I exploded the dot com era like you won't believe in the ski industry with a with a, a nice business called liftpasses.com. Oh, I right. know. I I you know you can only go so far until everyone goes. Maybe we should go back into Procter and Gamble for our investments instead of this dot com thing. Exactly. Um, you know, but but what what really intrigues me and it just because 
there's people that I always know are just going to make it because they, it's in their soul. This entrepreneurial thing, it's just, you know, it's tenacious um, because you have and founded another com, and I love the name. I truly do. Outdoorsica yeah. uh, dot, dot com. Was this, you know, was, was this based on lessons learned? Because it was about eight years later, seven years later. Was yeah, I don't even remember. Learned, I didn't even remember, a- but yeah, some something along those lines in terms of timing. Um, yeah, I think you know we still love the space, um, and you know social media was starting to grow, and so, anyways, we pulled a whole bunch of different sort of. We thought essentially we thought social media wouldn't be one platform; it would be verticalized platforms, and so we were trying to build that for the outdoor community. Uh, And the biggest lesson that I learned there that I think a lot of, um, you know, entrepreneurs sort of struggle with and think about a lot is just, we tried to do it part-time. I had two kids and a growing family. I couldn't quit the job, the developers, same thing. And just doing it part-time is very, very challenging. It's, um, and you know, let alone founder dynamics of like, are you pulling your weight? Are you pulling your weight? Like, oh, so it was really, really difficult to do it part-time. Uh, and I think that was my biggest takeaway from there. Oh, I dig that. I mean, like I said, I think we've got, I think we've got a lot of uh, commonalities in that front <laughs> because you gotta, you know, the second you have a family, you've got to realize who's number one. Yeah. Yes. And uh, that's making sure there's, they, they're eating. <laughs> yeah, so, um, always well, important. I, I, it's, yeah. They, they like it. Especially my, my, my son loves to eat. Um, <laughs> but you know, I love the fact that you're, you know, you're, you, the love of nature is clearly a, a big, part of you. Um, you. You can see that, or at least I'm, I'm guessing this, but I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to go out on a limb and, and say so. Um, do you have a special regime or um, way of, of de-technologically, removing yourself from technology so that your soul and spirit can kind of be rekindled? Is, do you have that sort of need or is it just, it is what it is? Um, I, I would reposition, especially in my younger years, the love of nature, which I do have, but it really was, quite frankly, a love of adrenaline. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I had a, I've, I've had through my life, and I've been super lucky in this way to have a group of friends from high school that I continue to hang with all the time. And, you know, when we come together, we do fun, crazy stuff. Um, and, I think that's been super important to me. I will say that, you know, the startup journey was filled with so much adventure and, <laughs> and adrenaline that in some ways um, I got away from, you know, outdoors and, and doing, you know, fun, crazy outdoor stuff enough. Um, and I think it's, you know, now that I have kids, you're probably thinking about some of the same things as are many of your listeners, which is, you know, in an age of screens and that kind of stuff, how do I get my kids, you know, more into nature outside doing those things? Because a bit of a tangent, but, you know, everyone here who's a parent will, will sort of recognize this is when we're outside doing something, you know, fun and getting exercise and, and being in nature, I mean, the smile on their faces is more authentic and true than it is in many other, you know, day-to-day situations. Mm-hmm. Super small example. We were lucky enough after the exit to buy a place up North and, you know, this spring during COVID, like many others, uh, we decided to tap our maple trees and make, make maple syrup. And nice. You know, just that small little thing of being outside in winter and watching what nature provides and being awestruck by how that whole process works. And then the taste of the maple syrup just tastes way sweeter, if that's even possible, when you make it yourself. So Mm -hmm. I do think there's, you know, we've got to um, get back to that a little bit. And I know me personally, you know, I've tried to be getting back in that mode as well, because I do miss it. That's awesome. That's, I mean, uh, the maple syrup thing. That's, that's, <laughs> you can't, uh, you're the most Canadian guy I've met all the time, uh, which, which, which is great. But you know, the thing with my kids is, you know, they're, they're quite addicted to their devices. And my daughter's starting to decouple herself. Um, she's in this leadership program at a special school in Vancouver, which, you know, they did a 50 kilometer bike ride in the rain in grade Love 10 it. yesterday. And you know what, that's, that's, that's where kids should be. But you know, yeah. the thing is, is I remind them when we go out in nature that wasn't that fun when they, when they do decouple and yes. they, they're like, yeah, that was great. 
let's do it again. No. Yeah. <laughs> like, how, yeah exactly. how, how, do, how do I rekindle that? I don't know. That's maybe the next billion dollar business, right? Like to, there we go. To, to figure out that de- decoupling. Um, well, you know, so I'm sure you're, you're among many other groups as well, but you know, the next 36, the CDL, I love the CDL. Um, you know, you're an advisor to both of these. Um, is it important to have an advisors um, as well as to be an advisor? Um, so, I mean, paying it forward and, and, paying it back is, is like incredibly important to me. I mean, the, this ecosystem has grown so much uh, and is really because a whole bunch of people are, you know, really open to spending time um, and trying to pass across as many lessons as possible. And some of them you need to learn on your own, but, you know, if you can even, you know, skew 10% um, to, you know, potentially a better path, that's like super helpful. Um, so I think paying it back is really, really important. You know, the, the, uh, I do think all of these organizations are really important. I do get a little bit concerned that, um, first of all, we've romanticized being an entrepreneur, you know, likely too much. Um, the reality is that it's a really hard life. Um, it, it is incredibly demanding and you can have to sacrifice a lot of other things to make it happen. And, you know, if I look back on it, of course, you know, we've had a great outcome. So it's like, of course it was worth it. And I, I feel incredibly fortunate and lucky. And, and a lot of it is luck, by the way, it could have gone the other way many, many, many times. Mm-hmm. And so I do get a little bit concerned about you know, just the overall atmosphere of everybody should, should go down this road and, um, and that the, the amount of accelerators, et cetera, can sort of, um, make entrepreneurs believe that, uh, you know, outside parties and what they're supposed to provide for you, you know, can, help you become more successful. And while that is true to some degree, I would just say, I think a key tenant of being an entrepreneur is that you've got to solve those problems. Um, And so I just want to make sure that, first of all, you know, people understand the downsides and understand that, you know, having a job and spending your extra time with your family and outdoors and all that kind of stuff is a very viable, very, you know, romantic um, existence as well. And it's not for everybody. Um, I don't think everybody should want it. And I also, I want to make sure that entrepreneurs, you know, truly understand the grit required. Um, And right now, I think we live in a world that's a little bit skewed. It's so much ups and downs. Like one day we're taking on the world. We just made a huge deal. The next day that deal just fell through. You know, like it's, For sure. people don't understand that. And they just see the upside. And I mean, what is that? 1% if that, well, not even 1%, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's point, 0.01%. Um, and I've kind of described it to folks as, um, you know, when things weren't going well at Wave and yet I had a great family and all those kinds of things. I mean, the sky was less blue and the trees were less green. And mm. I don't know, like that's not necessarily healthy. Um, and so I just, I, I don't want the romantic notion of it to take over versus the, it is for some people. Some people really want that. I don't ever want to, you know, talk those folks out of out of doing it. But I just think the culture has gone probably a little bit too far to romanticize, you know, the whole notion and, mm. and put too much um, of the success in the founders hands. It's, it's really about the team. I, I agree. I mean, the people just see the dollar signs, you know, right. And, and they're, they're not there, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, usually and, you know, the one thing, cause I do, I do a lot of the mentorship thing too. And the one thing that I do um, is I am brutally honest. I call it the wet blanket mm. mode where I, where they ask me a question. I'm like, well, I'm going to be truthful. I think it's an awful idea. I mean, tell me, you know, you're not thinking holistically or, you, ha- you know, the, the reason why I think mentors are good is because it allows you to look outside of your own box. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you as a mentor aren't ready to be brutally honest um, with the full knowledge that, hey, you, you're just as wrong as they might be, you know, like, like, no, it's a crapshoot, as you said. But if you're not brutally honest, you shouldn't be a mentor. 
And, mm. and I think that's what I like about the CDL so much as, as one of my personal choices, because yeah, it's romanticized a little bit, but boy, is that a boot camp? Like that isn't, you know, hey, we're going to hug and kiss. That's a, no, you're out. Like this is, you're off the jungle. And you know what? You might be successful, but it's not going to be through our network. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've started that network. So at least you have some people that you can talk to, be it for angels, for mentors and all that. Um, but it's a very non-Canadian, Canadian, Canadian um, body. I think, uh, and very uniquely so. Um, what, 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 I mean, how engaged are you with the CDL? So I took this year off um, because quite frankly, I just needed it. And um, the during the pandemic, it all being virtual um, definitely has been challenging with our whole yeah. lives being virtual. The idea of being on an all day virtual, um, yet another one I found challenging. And so I took this yeah. year off. Hopefully they're getting back to in-person and then that can continue. But um, I was blown away by that organization in terms of the quality of the founders, the process by which, you know, they did things, the quality of the advisors, you know, both from an entrepreneurial perspective, but also from a science background and, you know, government procurement and all those kinds of things. I mean, it was just, it's just remarkable and a true testament. Um, the one thing I do get concerned about a little bit in there is um, I think the I think the non-obvious um, ideas that that I think Americans are kind of more open to. I do get a little bit concerned about some of the groupthink that happens in there mm-hmm. um, related to. You know, like as an example, silly example, but, you know, an early drive to revenue uh, at times versus um, building an audience or, um, you know, those kinds of things I do get a little bit concerned at times with, but that's just the nature of it. And and it will continue to, to grow and expand and, and increase its, its, um, the group that's in there thinking about what we can do and make possible, I think. Sure, sure. But I mean, I just... And I, and I totally agree. I mean, I've heard I've heard lots of um, you know the positives and the negatives, but I just can't believe they were able to get like the university eggheads all together, which is kind of anti-business. But all the MBA programs. So now you're getting these people to you know to to network to learn. You got the government you know procurement. You touched on that one really well. And you know these these you know very you know I'll say gifted and you know people who have a, some capital to to exercise. So it's a good path for them. I mean, how you get everyone aligned in in such a way. Um, it's, it's just impressive. It, it really And is. giving I mean, that much time and all of those kinds of things. Time. I mean, you're right. It's, it's hugely impressive. And like AJ has done an amazing job. It's, it's, it's really, really an impressive organization that is just consistently well-run. Mm, mm, mm. Well, no, I, I, and it's very Canadian and I love the fact that it's now starting to bleed into, you know, yes. the States and in London and all that. So, you know what, Silicon Valley, CDL and yeah. you, you know, yeah. CDL and you, baby. Um, well, tell you what, I mean, we, we blah, blah, a little bit about Canada here. We got maple, maple syrup. I mean, again, <laughs> that. Um, but you know, the, the whole premise of, of afternoon tea is to speak to wonderful uh, Canadian entrepreneurs and learn from the journey in order to prepare that next generation of startups. So I got my two typical questions and I'm, I'm going to dig in here and I, I'm excited to hear your response. But first off, can you share one piece of advice to help younger Canadian founders? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this a lot um, and I have two, but I will narrow it down to one, which is um, I wish I had of invested more in the team, how to construct the team, uh, how to build, you know, diversity into the way we think. Um, I wish I had, you know, valued more the importance of manager and leadership training rather than just take somebody and promote them and assume that it's everything's going to go well which is what we did for many years um like i just think that that um you know there's a lot of focus in the early days on product and so there should be in technology and go to market and those kinds of things and i think we likely come too late to just overall team construction, 
values, um, making hard decisions about folks, you know, as early as possible, uh, training folks on what leadership really looks like, coaching, all of those kinds of things. I've seen the benefit of them and I've seen the the positive ROI that it had on the business. And I was just way late to that party. I don't think there's any time too early to, you know, in a tech business that is all people to just focus on that as much as you're focusing on the, on the product and the technology and the go-to-market. That, that is, that is a great, a great um, idea and a great lesson. That's for sure. Well, I, I really love that. So um, thank you for sharing. Um, what, what was number two then? I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. You said <laughs> um, trusting your intuition. Perfect. And I don't, I don't, I think in a data obsessed world, um, we're sort of losing that skill. And I think most entrepreneurs, I'm generalizing here, like they think about the problem uh, every single moment of every single day and are generally triangulating all sort of all sorts of data points all day long. Mm -hmm. And I think that leaves you with uh, an instinct that not as many people in as many situations are trusting. Fantastic. See, I knew, I knew that two was going to be good too. So that's why, that's why I had to ask and put you on the spot there. So thank you. Thank, thank you for that. Well, you know what, again, what's, what is, I mean, um, well, yeah, just go with it. What, what is a, a Canadian entrepreneurial star or founder that, uh, you know, you might either look up to or, or see them as, you know, kind of an up and riser right now. Well, so here, I'm not going to ask permission. I'm going to give you a couple of Fantastic. Uh, things if that's all right. So please, please. I recognize that uh, everybody in Canada talks about Toby. Um, easy one, <laughs> easy one, but let me, let me tell you why, and then put it into context with some of the others that, that I'll mention. The, the thing about Toby that will, you know, go down in history is just, he changed the landscape. He changed what the entire ecosystem thought was possible to do here. And, you know, I think everybody should mention him because at the end of the day, like, I, you know, having lived in the ecosystem like you have since 2009, 2010, I mean, it's just, it's just a sea change. And I would say they're responsible for so much of that. The second is, um, is DAX at light speed. And again, let me give you a reason why. Um, what probably, you know, most people aren't aware of looking at the stock price now and the valuation is that wasn't always obvious that Lightspeed was a breakout company. Um, and in fact, I forget the year, but let's call it 17 or 18 or something along those lines. Um, Excel sold out their position in Lightspeed. And if you know Excel, they really like making huge returns and they don't sell out of positions that they believe are going to be you know, long-term winners. Mm -hmm. And so it goes to show that it was you know, a good tech business, um, but not growing fast enough to be a breakout. Um, clearly they did some things internally to, to make things better. They went public and the execution since going public has been remarkable. Mm. And for Dax to have, you know, that, I mean, he's been at it for a long time. So he's got staying power and commitment to the mission um, and just surrounded himself with people as a public company that could execute at a really like kudos. It's, it's mm -hmm. a real success story. Yeah. And then the, I own, I own happily. I own both of those. Oh, good. <laughs> well, your portfolio is doing well. Yeah. I'm happy with it. I'm happy. With it. Yeah. <laughs> so one person who I believe doesn't get enough credit is David Ossip. Um, I mean, he's in some ways, one of the key founders uh, in the Canadian ecosystem overall mm -hmm. and what he's done at Ceridian to sort of reverse engineer takeover of that company and is now, you know, doing incredibly well is, is um, I mean, he's just, he's just honestly like one of the best and one of the most driven people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And then the final uh, answer is just the, and I'm not going to even name names or specifics, but the companies that I was seeing at CDL that are coming out now and starting to take off, take on the whole climate challenge. Mm. 
Um, I think all of us need to do as much as we can to support these kinds of companies in our ecosystem, Mm -hmm. A, because we need to from a planet perspective and B, because, you know, the the countries and the companies um, that are going to innovate and win in this space are going to be the next Facebooks and Googles, et cetera. And I saw a lot of amazing companies, unfortunately, like I'm not smart enough to understand what they're doing or how they're doing it or the science behind it or all those kinds of things. But I was hugely inspired in those sessions, often with, you know, key female, um, you know, leaders and, and founders and CEOs. And I would just say, I think all of us should really watch that space um, and do whatever we can to be helpful um, because those are going to be some of the most important companies, you know, moving forward. Well, we got four and then some, but uh, <laughs> four great stars and then some. But I, I agree. You know what? Not only do we need to to to, to mentor those who can mentor, um, but also, you know, we kind of put the dollar down um, yes. where where we can to support them. Because you know, there's lots of different ways to support solving that problem, and that is a huge problem. And you know what? I think it's a Canadian solution that's going to win that one at some point. You know, um, because you know, we have a lot of we have a lot of um, trust that that uh, is needed in order to solve that problem. So if we do it with honesty and um, you know, it's not a, a dollar first thing, uh, though the dollars will come from it. You know, it's like focusing we've, on that product market fit. For sure, and we we've been, you know, as a country for hundreds of years, been incredible at you know dealing with natural resources. Let's take that expertise and and move it into this area that is all about protecting those natural resources. And I think to your point, like Canada is incredibly well positioned. We all believe in the science. There's not a huge argument going on other than in pockets about whether or not it's real, not real, et cetera. So we, in our mind, we're all in the same place. Let's go uh, fund and mentor and nurture and, and ensure that our universities are set up to be you know, nurturing uh, in this area and let's go win here. Fantastic. Let's win. We're, 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 we're already winning, but let's look, we need to win that one. So uh, yeah, exactly and, right. Kurt, Kurt, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, you know what, con- again, congratulations for, for, you know, for the journey for wave for, for making a difference in, you know, hundreds of people's lives um, so much so that they want to get on that bus with you and uh, drive down the 401. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, thank, thanks for sharing. And uh, you know, Alex, thank you for, for making the suggestion. Cause this was so much fun and so uh, enlightening. I must I say. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Hey, afternoon tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you like this episode and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is P-O-D-C-A-S-T at T-T-T, that is three T's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at T-T-T underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.